Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Who knows what the Lord might say? Um, so just to really remind you, I have my library here. I wanted to recommend uh, a book. Uh, this, is, this for me was just a great book, Excellence in Leadership by John White which is really an unpacking of the story of Nehemiah. And if you know anything about the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah proved to be an exceptional leader. And so um, if you remember two weeks ago, we talked about leadership. And um, this might be a book that if you are coming into leadership in any particular sphere, whether it it doesn't need to be church, but in in some sphere, this might be a book (laughs) worth reading, worth getting hold of. So it's down here in the library, and there are obviously many other books uh, in the library as well. Let's pray together before I begin. Father, it's amazing, Lord, that we can come as a a church uh, here in Brixton, and we can, we can, we do a whole load of stuff in this community. Father, we're grateful for CAP and Food Bank and and other things that we do that support local people. And uh, Father, we're also grateful for, for New Day and Weekends Away that support young people and people coming in. And, and Lord, we're grateful for Emma and the passion you've put in her. And Lord, it's exciting that maybe we could help other people as well right now who we do not help, but we could help them. And so Father, I thank you for the fruitfulness of this church, the uh, the, the good it brings both to us and to the community at large. And we pray that you will continue to use us in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll know that if you come here at all, uh, that we are in, in a series on the life of David. Um, and really, I've just taken it from that verse in 1 Samuel thirteen fourteen. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And we've been unpacking this idea of the heart and how God uses people whose hearts are for him. And uh, we've been looking at that over these, you know, I suppose uh, this term we're looking at it. Last term we did another series which was more foundational. Um, Next term, actually, we're going to do something which is more, I suppose, missional, outward looking. And that's part of the vision cycle of our church. So so this season is very much about maturity and going deeper. And so we're doing some heart surgery. Yeah, I say that because um, I don't want you to be put off if you find uh, today's message or the last two messages challenging. I don't want you to think, I don't want to be challenged. I just want to be encouraged. Just tell me nice things, Owen. Don't tell me difficult things, yeah? Because sometimes in order to get to really good things, we need to do some stuff, yeah? I find that for me. I find that that God does surgery on me at the most inconvenient moments, yeah? God reveals things. He brings things to light. And I'm like, God, why now? Why now? But if you go with it, you discover that, it, that it's true that all things work together for good for those who love God. Yeah, it's true. It doesn't mean that at every moment there is a good feeling, but it's working for your good. 
So we're looking at this story of David, and two weeks ago we looked at the call of David, and we kind of looked at the fact that God chooses leaders differently to how we do it. That we choose leaders based on what we see on the outside. We might choose them based on the obvious gift that they have, or their personality, or their charisma, or whatever it is. But God makes it very clear to Samuel, and therefore makes it very clear to us, I don't choose leaders like that. You look on the outward appearance, I look on the heart. That's what God says. And I've also uh, mentioned on a couple of occasions that there's another verse in the Bible which talks about the eyes of the Lord roaming throughout the earth, looking. And he's looking for people whose hearts are for him. Or another way of putting that, whose hearts are fully committed, fully devoted to him. And in the book of Samuel, we discover that when God found Saul's heart, he didn't find that. But when he found David's heart, he did. And that while David was out in the fields looking after sheep, his heart was growing in its devotion to God. And it was through that that he wrote many of his psalms. There was many psalms were written during those early days, people think. That while he's out there in the field looking after sheep, almost as a boy... He's, he's writing psalms about the things that he's seeing. When I consider the heavens. He's writing. And then last week we looked at the story of David and Goliath, but maybe we didn't look at it exactly as we kind of know the story, because really what we looked at was the, the impact of fear on people and the impact of fear on Saul as to why he responded to Goliath in the way that he did, that, that because he's looking on the outward appearance, Goliath was a giant of a man, and that, that brought fear, because they looked on the outward side of things. And so the people, Saul and the, all the army, were fearful of Goliath, and we discover, oh, actually, David wasn't fearful of Goliath. Goliath wasn't David's nemesis, he was Saul's. David had a different perspective. Why? Because he had been in the field with the sheep when God had looked upon him and seen his heart and come to him. So he saw things differently. So when he saw Goliath, rather than being scared, he was kind of offended. How dare you talk about God in that way? Who do you think you are? And then we talked about The fact that so often when we don't look with God's eyes and we look with human eyes, how much we can be fearful about stuff. And I asked the question, what do you fear most? And I talked about one or two of my fears. We didn't have a lot of time last week because we had so many other things going on to really respond. And the one comment that came back on more than one occasion to me was, uh, great talk, Owen, no time to respond. So if we hopefully will have a chance to respond today um, to these three talks that are all about the heart. And if I were to summarise them, I would say this. God is looking for hearts who are for for him. But he can't, there's no room in your heart for God if it's full of other stuff. Yeah? 
And when we talked about Saul, we discovered that Saul, um, one of the things that was in Saul's heart was fear. And with fear there, there's not a lot of room for God. And today we'll see a couple of other things that were in Saul's heart. So, so here we're going to be jumping around a little bit around uh, uh, different, different scriptures, and I've got a couple of quotes. Forgive me, that, uh, that's the PowerPoint, forgive me. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if you get any, just look up and go, okay, he's talking about David and Saul. Oh, and some scriptures. I assume the scriptures are in the ESV, and I have my trusty NIV here. So let's see where we go. David's victory over Goliath led to a great victory for Israel. Saul's nemesis was destroyed and it led to great rejoicing both among the people, among the leaders. Even Saul at this moment is happy. Yeah, he's like, yes, we've defeated him. Yeah, but his happiness, you'll know, doesn't last. And you'll see over the next few chapters how Saul changes in his attitude Um, over this next chapter, if you were to read through consecutively the chapters, chapter 18, over that chapter, they they talk about Saul's jealousy of David. And yet there is only one verse in that chapter that actually mentions the word. Yeah, The rest of it you can just surmise. I imagine if you took that word out and you looked at chapter 18, you would summarise this, Saul is jealous of David. That's, what you would, that's probably what you would conclude if you looked at the chapter. The people are praising David. David becomes very successful, which in turn makes Saul very successful. And then in 1 Samuel 18, verse 7 and 9, it says this. The people are shouting and praising and they say, Saul has slain thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now, I must be honest, if I was Saul, I'd be thinking, I can live with thousands. Saul, though, was very angry with this refrain. It galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And then it says this, from that time, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. It's the only time the word is mentioned. From that moment, Saul keeps a jealous eye on David. Now, we see in that one passage I've read a number of Saul's problems. And please don't, you know, don't think, oh, he's just hitting on Saul. But we see a number of his problems which we can learn from. Firstly, Saul struggles with anger. Yeah, he struggles with anger. It tells us that Saul was very angry. And what is he very angry about? He's angry about a phrase. No, no one's done anything to him. He's angry about a phrase. Yeah? So th- this man struggles with anger. And if you read in the next chapters, you'll find that he tries to kill David on a number of occasions. He, he, tries, to, he tries to pin him to the wall with a spear yeah? in his uncontrolled anger. So we've already looked at the fact that in Saul's heart is fear, but also in Saul's heart is anger. He would fly off the handle in a moment. Secondly, Saul allowed a seed thought to take root in his mind and heart. And from that seed thought, a jealous tree flourished. And the seed thought is this. 
They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? In that moment, Saul has allowed something to enter his heart and that thing begins to grow. Yeah, it's a seed thought. It's nothing more than that. He may not have even realised himself that his actions would now spring from a jealous heart. And oh, what a jealous heart will do. The next recurring phrase we find with Saul is, is this, and it says this on a number of occasions in different ways. Saul was afraid of David. How interesting is that? Saul is bigger than David. Saul is a more seasoned soldier than David. Saul is the king, but he is afraid of David. Why would he fear David? Why would he fear him? Well, the passage tells us. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David and had left Saul. So Saul's not stupid. Yeah? And uh, I talked even in, in previous weeks how the fact that uh, Saul had, had had conversations with Samuel, which Samuel had said, Saul, you've acted foolishly, and God is going to take the kingdom from you, even as I speak now. Your kingdom is going. Yeah? Saul was aware, God's left me. Yeah? And he's now aware he's with David. He's with David. So we have a situation where Saul, who's the king, he's the father figure to David. He brings David into his courts. David is there with him, but he becomes filled, his heart becomes filled with anger, jealousy and fear. Now, if your heart is filled with anger, jealousy and fear, there is no room for God. There is no room for God. This then becomes the nature of his relationship. And over the next few chapters, you would read that David, uh, that Saul misuses and abuses his power, his authority, his gifts. He spends as much time chasing after David as he does fighting the Philistines. Yeah? So he completely messes up the responsibilities that he's been given in order to get at this man. What a jealous heart will do. What a jealous heart will do. And to be honest, he is unable to control his feelings. He has moments where he remembers, oh, yeah, I'm doing the wrong thing. But he quickly gets back into it. He's unable to control his feelings. And he remains that way until he dies. It's sad. When God was looking for a heart fully devoted to him, as he found in David's, Saul's heart was too full of other things that there was no room for God. There was no room for God. So I focus on this, not because I want to be depressing or anything, but the reality is anger, jealousy and fear, they live in us. These are the things that are translatable. None of us are kings like Saul. Yeah, none of us wear armour. None of us are head and shoulders above. Yeah, all the other things that, that separate Saul from us, because he led an army and it was, it was a very different kind of era, the things that are exactly the same are fear, anger and jealousy. And the question is exactly the same. Is my heart so full of those things that there's no room for God? Because God can't fight those things, 
Not only can't he, God won't fight those things. Remember the verse, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those whose hearts are for him. He's not looking to fight your heart. But if your heart's for him, he'll come and he'll strengthen it and he'll be with you. But if it's not for him, he'll just look for someone else. And we also have to remember, Saul is what, he's the king of the chosen people of God. So don't think to yourself, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. You know, I love Jesus. I come, I lift my hands in worship, I go to church, I give money. All of those things is your heart for him, though. Because that's different. It's different. I can be a Christian, I can do all sorts of things, and my heart not be for him. Yeah? And it's not because, it's not, it's not, that's not to be negative, but the, the reality is in Christians, we still battle with sin. We still live in this world of sinful stuff, and some of us can actually allow that, and, and we can protect it almost. So the question, because as I said, Saul may not have realised he was jealous, because it was a thought. And he might have, the thought could have been very, very logical. If they credit David with tens of thousands and me only thousands, he's going to take the kingdom from me. The last thing we want to do is give David the kingdom because Jonathan's going to be the heir. Very logical, would have made sense, reasonable thoughts to have. But springing out of jealousy in the heart. So the question, not an easy question, challenging question, would you know if you were jealous of somebody? Would you know? Because we don't use the word jealousy much, do we? I don't walk around, I don't walk to Paul and go, oh, I'm jealous. Oh, I'm just jealous. I'm just a jealous person. Yeah? How many of us want to be known as, no one wants to be known as a jealous person? Oh, I'm envious. I mean, we talk, Paulie and I will talk a little bit about envy and we'll see a house and we'll go, oh, I want that house. Or I'll go to a church with a building and I'll go, oh, I'll, I'll go, envy has risen in my heart here. <laughs> Yeah? Openly, I will just admit it. It's risen. But really, none of us want to be thought of as jealous, as envious, particularly of those around us. Yeah? Saul was jealous of David. You don't want to be thought of that. Who wants to be thought that they're jealous of their brother or their sister or their Who? No one wants that. It's not a word we use. But it can come with a single thought. And we can forget how it comes. And we forget that our actions are now based actually out of jealousy. And we don't even realise it. Because they're reasonable, they're rational, they make sense. Here's a couple of pointers that you can think about as to whether or not, am I jealous of somebody? Am I secretly pleased when some people fail or struggle? Secretly. I'd never admit it. But am I secretly pleased? Do I have that at work? Am I secretly pleased when it went wrong for that person? Or it didn't work out, or there was a struggle? Or another question you could ask yourself. Do I withhold from others things that will advantage them over me? Do I withhold? Do I withhold information? Do I withhold um, a contact, something I know, that I know would benefit them, but actually, I'll, I'll let them work that out. When I know, if I told them, it would really, really help. But actually, it might advantage them over me. Would I withhold that? 
Those are just a couple of tiny pointers that might go, okay, if I know, if I'm really honest with myself and I know I would do those things, maybe, maybe there's a seed thought there of jealousy. Do I, what's the word? Do I champion their success when it goes before my success? Would I do that? Would I be? Uh, <laughs> how would I be? Even admitting jealousy can be difficult because it requires a very deep level of humility. Yeah? It requires a very deep level of humility. But if we want our hearts to be fully committed to God, we must ensure other things don't fill it. There's no point in you rationalise. You can rationalise that way. Oh, yeah. Good points, I mean, good points. Yeah, yeah, I wish, you know, sons, you know, they needed to be here. You can rationalise it however you want to do it, but in reality, if you want your heart to be fully committed to God, if you want God, when he's roaming through the earth, looking for those whose hearts are for him, if you want him to find your heart, you need to empty it of other stuff. You need to empty it. The other thing that we note here is Saul missed the fact that David was there for his good. He missed that. David was there for the good of Saul. David made Israel under Saul more successful. He made it stronger. He made it better. The people were pleased with David, and as a result then, they're pleased with Saul. Saul, as king, won more battles than he lost because of David. The people were pleased. They recognised David. They were pleased when Saul recognised David, even if Saul was only doing it to find ways to get rid of David. They were pleased. David was not trying to steal Saul's thunder, but to serve him. He wasn't trying to steal it. You see, sometimes people we are jealous of are there for our good. Not just to expose the sin of jealousy. Sometimes you go, yeah, yeah, they've been placed there in my life just to help me deal with this. Yeah, this envy, yeah, okay, God, you put them there for that reason. No, they're not there for that reason. They're there to help us. Sometimes they're there to bring us success. And Saul missed that. Saul lost that in all the other stuff going on. He forgot that God has given me David. And as a result of giving me David, we are more successful. We are a stronger nation. We win more battles. So then if we were to look at the other side of the relationship, we've just looked at what happens with Saul and how Saul's heart is filled with jealousy, anger and fear and those things. But how did Saul's jealousy affect David? David ends up having to flee from his presence. He lives on the run, he hides in caves, and he lives among Israel's enemies. Yeah? So he's not having a great time here. Yeah? David can't live in the city. He can't receive the accolades that are due to him, not that he was looking for it. He is living among the caves. He's living among the enemies. And at times he's having to feign insanity to get through. Yeah? He's living a, a very difficult life 
Why? Because of Saul's jealousy of him. That's why. That's the only reason. It wasn't that he felt called out there at all. It was the jealousy that pushed him. So I'm just going to read. Um, if you put that passage up, I'll, I'll actually read it from the screen. A few verses here. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. So these things happen in the Bible as well as in real life. Um, He was relieving himself. (laughs) David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken. For having cut off a corner of his robe, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul, having relieved himself, left the cave and went on his way. It would appear on the face of it that God had created a wonderful opportunity for David to rid himself of his biggest abuser and tormentor. He would also rid Israel of an irresponsible king who went with 3,000 men to attack one of his most trusted servants. Weird. Like a rid Israel of this and it was absolutely justifiable. That David himself would become the rightful king of Israel and, his, and in this moment, David's men, no surprise here, encouraged him strongly. Look, this is the day the Lord has made. He's right here. Get rid of him. You can do with him what you will. And they're even quoting as though God has spoken into this. Take it. Make the most of this opportunity, David. And you could understand, because David could have thought, you know, it's not like I've sought after it, I've not, I've not been looking for it, it's kind of just come my way. Yeah, I didn't know that Saul was going to come into the cave, he didn't know we were there, but look, look what's happened. David is tempted, yeah? He's tempted to do what they've said. So he clearly, he goes towards Saul with a sword. Yeah, he goes towards him with a sword. And he cuts off the corner of his robe, to make a point. But he doesn't. He doesn't kill him. He doesn't do what maybe we think he could have done or maybe what we would have done. And this is what F.B. Mayer says on this point. He, David, would not retaliate or revenge his wrong. He refused to admit the spacious argument that opportunity meant permission and that license meant liberty. He quieted the impetus fever of his soul. He resisted the subtle temptation of the adversary and he elected to await the slow unfolding of the divine purpose. That hurts, that passage, (laughs) That, that quote. It hurts, the slow unfolding of the divine 
purpose. For David, opportunity was not permission. How many of us take opportunities simply because they come? I'm in a difficult situation. I don't like it. There's an opportunity to get out. Well, I'm out. Thank you, Jesus. Well, you you opened the door just when I needed it. There was a much deeper principle at work. And not just principle, there was a much deeper relationship that David had with God. Whatever he may have done, however bad he was, Saul was the anointed of the Lord. And if God wants to get rid of him, fine, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. It was a deeper principle that stopped natural impulse. Secondly, it was difficult for David to wait for God's slow, unfolding, divine purpose. God's purposes, let's be honest, can appear to us very slow. Whatever the Bible says to the Lord, it's a thousand years like a day. and a th- No, it's slow. God, it is slow. Yeah, you might think it's quick and speedy, but to me, oh my goodness, this should have happened ten years ago. Mayer brings a helpful distinction between what it is to wait on God and what it is to wait for God. He says there is a clear distinction between how David waited on the Lord and how one waits for the Lord, although they are obviously linked. Obviously, if you read his Psalms, you'll read about David waiting on the Lord. Yeah, it's a big thing in the Psalms. It's one of his big things. We wait on the Lord by prayer and supplication. We're looking for an indication of his will. We wait for the Lord by patience and submission. I wait on him through prayer and supplication. I wait for him with patience and submission. Looking for the interposition of his hand. Why would you wait on God? He goes on to say, there must be a promise to justify us or some definite committal of God on which we can rest as an unmistakable revelation of his purpose. What he means by that is simply this. If God has promised you something, wait for him. If he's not promised you something, then then that's different. But if you know in your heart God said this is going to happen, then what this is really saying is you wait for God to make it happen. What do you make of your God-given opportunities? Sometimes we're too quick to take advantage, to escape difficulty and challenge, because we have the resources to do so. Say you're at work, difficult at work, don't get all my boss, don't really like it, I don't appear to be getting anywhere, no one loves me at work, no no one's shouting after me at work, so what do I do? Actually, I have enough resource to go and change that if I want. I have enough about me to do that. I can apply for a new job, I can, do, I can do whatever I like, I can do whatever I want to do to get out of that situation. Sometimes that may well be right, but other times, and for many of us, that's not the way. Because that's not where the learning is. You, know? you don't actually learn much when you avoid problems. You learn more when you walk through problems. Sometimes we're too quick to take advantage. We escape difficulty and challenge. It plays out at work, plays out in relationships, you can play out in the church. Our unhappiness means we're looking for a way out. So when the opportunity comes, bang, I'm gone. David doesn't do that. He waits for that horrible phrase, the slow unfolding of the divine purpose. Yeah? Oh God, why is that there? 
the slow unfolding of the divine purpose. But what happens if you were to wait? What happens if you were to trust God? What happens if you were to wait for the Lord through patience and submission and you weren't to act? This is what it, the effect it can have on others. It restrains impulse. And impulse isn't always a great thing. Yeah? You know, some of us are going, oh, I'm just so impulsive. Okay, you might be so impulsive. But impulsiveness is not always the way to relate to God. Yeah? So if you really want to relate to God, you kind of at some point need to deal with the whole impulse thing. But, so it can restrain impulse if you learn to wait. Ta- secondly, it inspires courage and strength in people. The people around David would have grown in courage and strength when they observed David because of how he responded. It gives great rest and it induces penitence in others. When people see, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, there's moments I need to just stand back, I need to wait for God to act. Mayer goes on to say, we're nearly done and we're going to sing a song. Mayer goes on to say, we win most when we appear to have yielded most and gain advantages by refusing to take them wrongfully. The man or woman who can wait for God is a man of power and others will acknowledge it and bend beneath his scepter. This whole series on David is really about the heart. That's what it's about, because in the end, we can do all sorts of teaching around knowledge and we can do all sorts of different things, but if your heart remains full of things like jealousy, anger and fear or revenge or impulse, then there's no room for God in it. doesn't matter what you call yourself. There's no room for God in it. God looks for hearts that are devoted to him. That's what he looks for. That's what the Bible tells us he looks for. For our hearts to be devoted to him, they must be emptied of other stuff. And then he comes. And he comes to us. Now obviously the main way that we get our hearts emptied of stuff is we come to the cross. That's how you empty yourself. You, you come to the cross and you, and you give yourself to Jesus. You submit yourself to him. You say, no, it's not my will, it's your will. You make him Lord. But you know what? That, ha- that has an ongoingness about it. You, you don't say, you know, back in 1999, uh, I came to Jesus. That was it. And that may well have been it. But in reality, you come to Jesus on a regular basis. And Jesus is looking for your heart. Yeah? He repeats a lot of things that we read in the Old Testament. Um, Again, I read it because Samuel says to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. Do you know what? Jesus says a very similar thing. To obey is better than sacrifice. Yeah? Jesus, Jesus reminds us because God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. He's still looking for hearts. He's made the way possible through Jesus, but he's still looking for hearts. He's still looking for those who are committed to him and through those people he will use them. He can do stuff through them. So the question that we ask as we come and we're going to just sing one song to finish, will you make room in your heart for God? Will you come to Jesus again?
Will you say, I need to be rid myself of all this stuff, all my personal agendas, all the things I want to do. I mean, I, I heard what Emma was saying, but, but in some ways it's God's dreams. It's not my dreams. Can I align myself to his dreams, to his purpose? And then for some of us, it may be that, that we have to be honest with ourselves and say, do you know what, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of X, or I'm jealous of Y, and these are the things going on for me. Yeah? And you might need to let go of that, but you also might need to remind yourself, actually, they're there for my good. They're not there to do me evil or harm. They're there for my good. They're there to benefit me. They're there to help me be successful, to help me make it. So when we come to God in this moment, I just want you to be really open with him and to him. Yeah? It's heart surgery. Yeah, I, I accept that. Yeah? And it's, you, know, you might go, I mean, come on. But this, this is how you get hearts full of God. This is how you live lives that are fully devoted to him. This is how you can look back one day and go, man, isn't God good? Isn't God good? And you can openly say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in my life. Thank you for the, the things you brought to me that were so difficult, but I, I made that sacrifice and look at the blessing that's come my way. Do you know what? I look back a little bit like that. Not completely, because I still moan and complain. You talk to Pauline and you're here. Oh, okay. Does he? Yeah, he's always going on about that. Yeah? But every morning, as you know, I'm still there. I'm saying, God, I want you to find my heart when your eyes are roaming around the earth. I want my heart to be strengthened. I want my heart to be committed. Let's stand together and come back and pull in and come out. Last week we didn't we didn't get an opportunity to to respond really, and I wanted us to do that. So. Uh, I want us to take a moment now, so why don't we just lift our hands to God and close, close our eyes and, and the heart's that internal thing, so we don't need to be looking around because each of us, the heart is on the inside and it may be that even as um, you've heard this morning, even maybe stuff through the worship, through what I've said, you're aware, oh my goodness, there's stuff in my heart that I need to get out in order that I can make room for him. And I want to make room for him. Yeah, I don't doubt Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I accept that, but I want room for God in my heart now. I'm not relying on that one moment there, however many years ago it was. Now, Jesus, I want you to be Lord. I want you to be Lord. So it may be that things have come up in your mind that you, you just need to, I don't know, repent. Just bring them to God. Just begin to pray them out. Verbalise what's going on. Don't, don't keep it in your mind. Verbalise it. Tell God the things that you're sorry about. Admit the things that you struggle with. If we just, just, just do that. This is, this is a process of free in your heart before him.
You just begin to tell him, Father, I'm sorry. I acknowledge that I feel this way. Just begin to tell him how you're feeling, what's going on for you. It's a way of getting out from your heart the stuff that shouldn't be there in order that he can fill it and he can strengthen it. might come a moment where you're confessing some stuff to him and then you want to tell him Lord I I want you in my heart I don't just want to be a Christian who comes to church and lifts his hands or her hands and does all the Christian stuff I actually want you in my heart I actually want to live a life that really really reflects you I want to live a life that is devoted to you that's, that's what I want, Lord. And, and just tell him that. Just tell him. Tell him what you want. Tell him what's in your heart. Tell him what you want. And then as we, as we come to, to worship, there's an element of, you know, you wanting to receive from him. And in truth, you can't do all this in a moment. I mean, it, Sometimes it's going to take a while. You might have things you need to do in order to make that point real. You might have to do some stuff. But right now we're just going to worship and allow the truth of the song to begin to permeate. The Bible talks a lot about hard hearts. And our prayer is that God, my heart would stop being hard, that you would soften my heart, that I might become open to you. Let's worship together. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.